Please pray with me as we start. Heavenly Father, prepare my heart now to share your word. Prepare our hearts together to hear your word, to hear what you have to say. Create in us fertile soil and help us to be spiritually growing at all times because of the constant ministry of your Holy Spirit. Lord, open the word to us. Reveal your heart and soul so that we understand and so that we may apply it. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Have you ever eaten something that looked really, really good and it smelled wonderful and it tasted just fantastic and about Two hours later, it came back to haunt you. Little indigestion, little heartburn, soured your stomach. You need Tums for the tummy. We use polite terms like, that food didn't agree with me. I'm more likely to say something like, uh, those Brussels sprouts made me want to hurl. I use Brussels sprouts because my wife's not here and she can't, you know, get after me on the vegetable thing. But there are things that just seem so appealing and then later they come back to get you. Well, all of God's words are good, but not all of God's words are good news for everyone who hears them, nor do they always taste good. Uh, especially when we've chosen to disobey or ignore the words. And sometimes they, that sour taste in your mouth is conviction. Is God saying, hey, you need to make a change here. And the word begins to burn. Now, if we flip that over to the one who's delivering the word, on the other side, though all God's words are good, some are more difficult to deliver and share with others. Uh, speaking the truth can sometimes be pretty hard, and sometimes telling the truth comes at great cost. We're doing a teaching series on the book of Revelation, and we've seen a couple of times now that, that Jesus has revealed to John that even though God has made it perfectly clear or will make it perfectly clear to this group of people he's addressing in the future, it will be ignored by a great many, many people. And even though God has released wrath to try to drive those people who haven't believed in Jesus to a place of safety and a place of love, they still haven't. And many refuse and will face that negative part of God's judgment. As we look to the future, we realize that time may be running out to make that choice. Uh, twice in this passage that we've been looking at, or in the last couple of chapters we've been looking at, People of the world who were not marked by God, which means that they hadn't come to Jesus, that, that these people have rejected him. And we have another major piece coming in the next few chapters. They call it the seventh trumpet. And when the seventh trumpet blows, the full range of God's judgment, the full range of God's wrath will be released. And again, God's wrath has the purpose of trying to drive these people to know or to, to come to, to be dependent upon God and to come into a relationship with him. You know, judgment is not God's purpose in sending Jesus. You know that, right? 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But some people, even today, refuse to be saved. And many reject God's word and this gracious offer that God has given them so that they can go their own way and continue doing their own thing. As we said uh, way back when we started this series, that, that in this book... It's 404 verses long, and 360 of those verses are Old Testament quotes or references. 360 of 404, and today is no different. We're looking at a chapter that looks back to a vision in Ezekiel chapter 3, and John would be very familiar with this chapter Uh, He would have grown up learning about the prophets, and he would know very much about what happened with Ezekiel. So we want to start by taking a look at John chapter 10. If you have your Bible with you, if you would open to John chapter 10, and uh, then we're going to jump back into Ezekiel and look at a couple of verses there. Well, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, and he was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. And he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot in the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And then the angel I had seen standing on the land and on the sea raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, and the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants and the prophets. And then a voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more, Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour. But in your mouth it will taste sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hands and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So we have this giant angel that shows up. And he's standing with one foot on the land and one foot in the sea. And all that really means, all that symbolizes, is that this message is for the whole world. Everybody who lives in every place. And uh, as uh, he had cried out, as we heard this, this voice like the roar of a lion, we hear seven thunders, and apparently that was just for John's ears only. Maybe we're going to hear more of that later on. But for right now, he said, no, 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 don't write that down. Write what comes next. John's told, take and eat the scroll. Now, this is a funny image, isn't it? You know, thinking of somebody taking a scroll and it's got writing on it. It's kind of like, you know, uh, after you pass on this secret message, eat this so that nobody can discover it. 
He's told to eat this scroll that's got these words written on both sides, just like the big scroll. And uh, it has, like the bigger scroll, it has God's words written on it. These are God's words to be prophesied, and in his case, prophesied to all the people on the earth. Now, I don't know if John is literally eating a scroll, or I suspect it's, it's more symbolic, uh, but it's sort of like God said to John, I revealed to you my words and my intentions. Now go digest them. Take them to heart. Understand them before you have to speak them because a lot hangs in the balance. There's a lot coming. The prophet Ezekiel had the same kind of call to share God's word. Um, Ezekiel was a priest in captivity in Babylon when God called him out as a prophet, and uh, God gave him a vision. The same angels that John saw in the throne room of God in the book of Revelation, the same four living creatures were revealed to Ezekiel. Exactly the same. And God revealed himself to Ezekiel just like John saw God on the throne and saw the Lamb. So now here's where this little scroll comes in and, and why it's important to the, to the whole thing. In chapter 3, uh, let me put this up on here so you can read along with me. In chapter 3 of Ezekiel, he said, Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. And so I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. So far, it's pretty close to what we're reading in John, right? He said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. You're not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. Not to the many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you can't understand. Surely if I've sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. So Ezekiel eats the scroll, and he becomes, in a sense, filled with God's words. God gives him his word to process and to, to fill himself up with and to take them to heart so that he can go out and share those words with the people of Israel. But right before he does that, God warns him. He says, uh, I'll tell you right now, these people are not going to listen to you. They're stubborn, they're hard-hearted, they're cold towards me. And so John knows when he looks back at this story of Ezekiel, he knows that, uh, because this is part of his heritage, he knows that um, the word that he has to share, the one that God says to digest or to eat, he knows that even though he's going to be obedient and preach it, it's going to be rejected. These people of God and these people not of God are going to reject it. You know, it's hard to be a prophet. It was hard back then, and it's hard now. A prophet isn't a fortune teller who's going to give you a little glimpse of your future so you know when you're going to win the lottery or not. A prophet is charged with speaking the truth of God's word. And he speaks on behalf of God. And no matter how bitter the message is that God told him to preach, he's going to preach it. 
prophets were called to be empowered to speak truth, God's truth. And for their trouble, according to Hebrews chapter 11, many of them were tortured or put to death, and some were stoned, some were killed with the sword, some were even sawed in half, it says. Horrible things happened to these people for their faithfulness, and their faithfulness particularly in telling God's truth. It's no wonder that this scroll in the mouth of John went down pretty good, like it, it went in good because it, was, it tasted like honey, but it soured in his stomach. This is God's word of prophecy for these people, and it's no wonder John, thinking of Ezekiel, whom God quotes, thinks, oh boy, here we go again. These people are going to reject it, and they may reject me because I'm bearing God's word. He knew that this little scroll meant that like the people of Israel in Ezekiel's day, the people he prophesied to would reject God's offer for redemption and for repentance. And that meant that final judgment was coming. It's coming to the remaining people of the world who refuse to receive and believe in Jesus. You know, receiving the word of God is a great joy, isn't it? You know, I've often had some beautiful times. You know, I love to, when it's warm, I love to sit out back and at the table out back in my garden and, and have my breakfast there and read the word there. And, and there are some beautiful times of, of just encountering God because you're, you're eating God's word. You're taking God's word in. And hopefully, I hope you're digesting it. I hope you're, you're not just reading it because i got a Bible plan and i got to get through this in a year. You know, I hope you're reading it and understanding what's being said, and I hope you're processing it. God's word is joy. It's sweet in the mouth. But since this word is a prophecy of judgment... It results, it's going to result in the unpleasant experience of John having to proclaim this very negative message of wrath and woe. Now, maybe contrary to popular beliefs, prophets did not like to do this. It was a bitter task. They didn't jump up and down and say, oh, good, everybody's going to die. But I don't know about you, for the last couple of years when I listen to the radio or I turn on the television, it seems like many of God's preachers are, are taking great joy in the fact that people might die. It's like they're excited about people all being destroyed. It's the end of the world. And I feel fine. John wasn't any happier about it than the Old Testament prophets were happy about it. John knew the cost of truth, that it can be a bitter pill to swallow. Here's something I want you to remember. God doesn't threaten. God warns. You know the difference, right? He doesn't threaten. He warns. Threatening may or may not happen. When God speaks, you know what's going to happen. Unless and, he always, and there's a conditional thing here. Unless people repent and turn away from the evil that they're doing. A professor of mine used to say, whenever you preach on hell, you ought to do it with a tear in your eye. Now, I understand what he means about that. Wrath and the judgment of hell may be 
what someone deserves because of the rejection of Jesus. But you know, the loss of even one person grieves the Lord. God is not joyous about it. He's not happy about this loss. I mean, why else do you think that Jesus has waited so long to have his second coming? Scripture says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So sometimes we, we think, well, how long, Lord? How long are we going to have to wait? I mean, even your disciples, they thought it was going to happen immediately. How long do we have to wait for your return? And we look at this subject of hell, and, and, and honestly speaking, some of us feel like, yeah, those people deserved it. They, they earned it by the terrible things that they did in their lives. But you know, that's not ours to judge. You know, in that passage where it says, judge not, lest you be judged, that's talking about this kind of judgment. It isn't ours to judge between heaven and hell. It isn't ours to judge between life and death. That's God's. That's his territory. But here in this book that we're studying, and in these passages, God's wrath points the way to God's judgment. And we take ourselves there if we don't follow Jesus. You know, if you think about it, this judgment is what we all deserve. Wrath and judgment. Because we are fallen. We have all sinned. There's a, a passage here in 1 John 1.8 that says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth, talking about the truth of God here, and the truth is not in us because we're all sinners all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God we don't measure up by ourselves there's no way but thank the Lord we are all sinners if we embrace Jesus we are all sinners saved by grace and grace is that free gift of God that's given to us and, and that's why knowing Jesus is so imperative that's why this offer of salvation is so filled with grace and love. God could just judge us and be over with it. But instead, he, ex he extends an invitation. He says, come this way. Come this way, and you'll be forgiven. The need to come to Jesus by faith is God's truth. The only truth. You don't get to heaven through Buddha or Muhammad or anyone else who claims to have the path or the way. And, and it's true for us today just as it was true for those people in the prophecy and revelation. We all need to come to faith in Jesus Christ or we will stand condemned, not by Jesus, but by ourselves, by our own sin. You know, it's interesting, a thought came to me as I was reading this passage. You know, we're talking about the future and we're thinking, oh, that may be way down in the future. We say, come Lord Jesus, we hope it's today or tomorrow. But when we look at this, we think, oh, this is way down the road. You know what? These people that are being judged, these people that are facing wrath, these people that, that are immediately facing 
all of this stuff could be some of us. You ever think about that? This might not be way down the road. This is judging anyone who will not receive Jesus. So that could be some of us. And that's a very sobering thought. You know, the truth is not always easy to take, nor is it easy to share, and neither is it easy to recognize. I think uh, we know from the last couple of years that, that it's been very hard to figure out what's true and what's not true. We've had politicians that just made stuff up out of whole cloth, but they repeated it so often that people began to believe it. We've had conspiracy theories that are so wild and crazy and weird, but people believe them because somebody in their tribe told them it was true. Among Christian evangelicals, the, the war with science has become more hostile than the last couple of years. Have you noticed that? You know, things that we were taught in school, things that we, we kind of just believed at face value, many of them which are just standard things, like the law of gravity. Well, just because we stop believing in the law of gravity doesn't mean it doesn't keep us attached to the earth and we don't float away. But science took a, not only a second, a third, or a fourth place. Suddenly there was no such thing as experts, but we became the experts because we read something on the internet. And that became truth for us. We disavowed any concept or any idea of the concept of objective truth, and all truth became subjective. We became the experts. I don't know if you saw this, but yesterday, Russian President Putin said, and, and this is a quote, in my special military operation in Ukraine, we are making an effort to save the people from genocide. What? Did you get that? We are making an effort to save the people from genocide, and meanwhile, he's in the process of committing genocide among the people of Ukraine. If we just say it off enough, maybe somebody will believe it. I don't know if anybody will believe that one. The truth in Russia is that anyone who protests or denies the lies will be put in prison. And hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of protesters have been put in jail. And anybody who is a journalist who tells the truth, they get arrested. Hide the truth at all costs. But there is an objective truth in the world in which we live. And it's embodied in Jesus. Pontius Pilate asked that famous question of Jesus, what is truth? He's suggesting that truth is relative, that truth is whatever you yourself believe it to be. But little did he know that standing immediately in front of him was the embodiment of truth, was the center of all truth that exists, truth in human form. You know, Jesus told his disciples in John 14, I am the way, the truth. The life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. He's the only way to heaven. The only way to eternal life with Jesus. The only way to the new heaven and earth, which is the last part of the book of Revelation that's promised to us. 
You can't get there from here unless you know Jesus. Nobody has a special exemption. My wife went up to Canada this weekend and uh, see her mom first time of the year, and uh, we have these little cards called Trusted Traveler cards. Some of you have them, I think, too. And, and when we get to the border, all we got to do is show this special card, and we, we have our own special gate. We just get to go right on through. We just hold it up, and they look at it, and you know, they very rarely ask you any questions, and they just go, go on, go on through. I think some folks are convinced that they have you know, a fancy traveler's card that allows them to go directly from here right into heaven. That's not the way it works. The only people with that exemption are the people who have already followed Jesus. And in the book of Revelation, the people who have the seal of God on their forehead, that God has called them out. Called them out from amongst. The seal of Christ comes from receiving Jesus and following him in life. You know, both Ezekiel and the Apostle John were called by God to speak God's truth. Ezekiel was called to speak to God's own people about their judgment if they didn't change their ways. And John is called to speak to the whole world or through God's people to the whole world and to warn them, this is what's coming if we don't receive Christ. But the people refuse. And so far they've turned away twice. And we know if we've read ahead in the book, it's going to happen again. And you wonder why. Why, why given those choices, why under that stress would we choose to follow a path which would take us towards the action rather than away from it? These are not brave people. These are stubborn people. Obstinate people. Why? Are they refusing to repent? You know, there's no indication in the scripture that they don't understand what they're hearing. No indication of that at all. I think we have to assume that they understand perfectly the message that these prophets are presenting to them. They aren't rejecting John as the teacher and prophet. They're rejecting God. That's what Ezekiel says. They reject the warning for the same reason that God's people rejected the prophet, right? We read that a few minutes ago. The people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. The people reject God's prophets because they reject God himself. We live today in a world of stubbornness and hard hearts. And we become jaded to the truth, whatever that is. And we're suspicious whenever anybody speaks of truth. And many have become cynical whenever we talk about true things. So many people are just not willing to listen to God and listen to the call to turn to Jesus. They aren't willing to accept God's free gift, his offer of safety, and his offer of shelter. But Jesus still offers it. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Man, I need some rest. Don't you need some rest? Come to Jesus. The offer still stands. Freedom 
rest, eternal life in Jesus and through Jesus. Have you ever encountered someone who's become very hard of heart? You have somebody like this in your life that you, you know, you've tried to share Jesus with them before and they just shut you down or somebody you encounter and they're just, you can tell they're so hard hearted about Jesus. They just don't want to hear anything about it. Maybe somebody close to you, maybe somebody you love, or maybe it's you, maybe it's you. You've prayed the prayer, you've been baptized, you go to church, but it all feels like you're just going through the motions. And you know your heart's become hard. You can feel it. You can tell when that heart is hardening because it doesn't just harden towards God, it hardens towards other people around you. And people begin to notice it. Probably everybody knows it but you. I want to suggest four things as, as we wrap up. Things that we can do in relation to sharing God's word with the heart of heart. And maybe some of it we can apply to ourselves if we found ourselves in that same place with hard and stubborn hearts. The first thing is kind of obvious. It's pray. Pray. Uh, I have a little prayer that I have constantly prayed since I was in college, and I'll get into a group situation. When I was in college, I worked in a warehouse store, um, and I had a small store up front, a huge warehouse out back, and people would write in what they wanted, and we'd bring it out. And uh, working in the back with people in a situation like that, you get to know people. And a lot of them were very hard towards God. And so I would begin to pray. When I'd come on my shift, I would pray, God, let them ask me questions so that I can jump in and answer them. I'm not going to jump in by myself. You draw them to yourself. And we know in Scripture that, that no one comes to Jesus unless the Holy Spirit draws them, right? And so I would pray that Jesus or the Holy Spirit would draw them and that they would begin to have curiosity about God and that they would ask the questions. I don't think I ever worked a shift where I didn't have somebody ask me something about God because they all knew I was studying to be a pastor. And I had some incredible conversations, some very deep conversations, um, including on my very last night of work as I was leaving work and the store was all shut down and I was going across the parking lot and this guy ran out after me and stopped me. And he said, I want to give my heart to Jesus. He had grown up in a Christian school. He had been in a Christian home. He had gone through all the motions and he had never received Jesus. Right there in that parking lot, I was given the privilege to lead him to Jesus. Now, I didn't force that conversation. I didn't make that conversation. The Holy Spirit made that conversation. We make it too hard to share our faith. We, we, we make it so we feel like we have to go banging on somebody's door in order to do it. But if we're humble and if we're willing and if we ask God, Sometimes the people of the world come banging on our door. Because <laughs> there are a lot more people out there who want to know God than, than we're willing to believe. You know, when I came to Christ, God had softened my heart for a year prior to, to my receiving him, and I'm sitting in the living room with friends, and one of them turns to me and says, so do you want to become a Christian? And I said, yes, because I was ready. 
because the Holy Spirit had prepared me. A year before that, I would have said, get out of my face. No, we can do the same thing. You might be surprised how many times you get to respond to that. The second thing is, let the Holy Spirit guide you to the when moment. Let him guide you to when. So often I think we turn people away because we jump all over them and we try to beat them over the head with our Bibles. And that doesn't work. They may never come back. But we listen to the Holy Spirit. We, we pray and we listen to God directing us as to when it's the right timing. Now, I know some will argue and say, oh, well, there's no bad time to share the gospel. And I guess that's true in a general sense. But there is a better way to share the gospel when it's in God's timing under the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. You can almost always tell when somebody's ready. When I was ready, my friends knew when to ask the question. They could tell. I was ready. And I've asked that same question of a number of people. You know, sitting in a restaurant across the table from a young man one day, I just said, so, um, is there anything keeping you from becoming a Christian now? That was the simple question. It wasn't a hard question. It wasn't a confrontational question. And he said, nothing. Can we pray now? So we did, sitting in that restaurant over coffee. God does some amazing things, and we need to trust him for that, and that's the next part. Trust God for the what, you know? You're trusting him for when to do that, but trust him for what to say, what should happen. We don't make that happen. The Holy Spirit makes that happen. We put ourselves into the situation. We make ourselves willing to go, and God, he provides the increase, right? Listen for the Spirit's prompting. Trust God and speak the truth. Don't hedge your bets. Just out with it. Be honest. Be open. Be truthful about Jesus. Don't use any roundabout ways to get there. That's deception. Do you know that in the book of Ezekiel, in those first three or four chapters, if you read there, and I encourage you to read there because it's a fascinating read, but in that part, he says to the prophet, I will hold you responsible if you don't speak the words and one of those people perishes. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> that, what a weight on the prophet that if he didn't go and prophesy and one of those people died, that God was holding him responsible for that person's soul. I don't know if I ever noticed that when I read that before. But it jumped off the page in me this time. We have God's word and we are responsible to share it. We have the gospel, so let's share it. Simple as that. And the fourth thing here is to surrender yourself. Why is that? Well, the gospel is far more effective coming from a surrendered life, a life in Jesus. Uh, yesterday at our worship seminar that we attended, um, we heard that, you know, if you want to lead people in worship, you have to have a daily life in Christ that naturally flows into worship. You have to worship yourself, not worship yourself, worship God yourself, if you're going to lead other people in worship. And the same is true if you're going to lead people to Jesus. That surrendered life, daily in God, immersed in God, studying God's word, listening for God, that's going to lead you into natural conversations that'll allow you to share Christ.
The end without Jesus is bitter. But the end with Jesus is glorious. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to digest your word. And in these words to John, which, which you have preserved for us, help us to digest what we're reading here. Help us to understand what you're saying and, and in your timing to share the word of God with confidence. Help us to remember that we don't bring the outcome, but you do. Holy Spirit, we understand no one comes to you and to Jesus unless you draw them. And so we pray for you now to draw our family and our friends and our neighbors and our teachers and our students and those whom we disagree with. Lord, Holy Spirit, draw everyone, all the people around us. Prepare their hearts to receive you. Put your words in our mouths, God, and fill our hearts with your spirit. Lord Jesus, we're ready to go, and we're ready to share about you. And now we ask you to point the way. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.